while the man held on to peter and john all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called solomon's colonnade when peter saw this he said to them fellow israelites why does this surprise you why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk the god of abraham isaac and jacob the god of our fathers has glorified his servant jesus you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before pilate though he had decided to let him go you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you you killed the author of life but god raised him from the dead we are witnesses of this by faith in the name of jesus this man whom you see and know was made strong it is jesus name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you all can see now fellow israelites i know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders but this is how god fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his messiah would suffer repent then and turn to god so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the lord and that he may send the messiah who has been appointed for you even jesus heaven must receive him until the time comes for god to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets for moses said the lord god will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people you must listen to everything he tells you anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people indeed beginning with samuel all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant god made with your fathers he said to abraham through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed when god raised up his servant he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways thank you for reading the scripture and again that was acts chapter 3 verse 11 through 26 and the new international uh, version and we continue in our Acts series used uh, the spirit infused multi-ethnic church and today's sermon is entitled power in the name and indeed what's indeed. in a name as shakespeare asked in romeo and juliet well there is power in the name and um, just personally, uh, I grew up, my last name is pronounced Sim. Uh, I, when I introduce myself, I say, hi, I'm Dave Sim. Um, but actually, in the original language, Korean, when Koreans address my father, for example, they say, which means Pastor Sim or Reverend Sim, um, but they, it's pronounced Shim. So actually, in Korean, my last name is pronounced that Shim, is, uh, uh, but it's spelled S-I-M. Uh, because when my father and mother immigrated here to the United States, that's what they wrote down, uh, a, a transliteration of Shim to just S-I-M, uh, because it seemed the, the most akin, most kind of familiar with anglicized uh, names, um, S-I-M, Sim. And immigrants, when they come into the United States, is that their names are changed, the pronunciation of their names are changed in order to be more familiar um, to English speakers in the country. And uh, that's part of our history. Americanized. And so yeah. 
There's power in the name. And for many Asians who came to the States, right, their names are changed in order to assimilate more, to be more uh, malleable or to be more palatable for the dominant culture. You know, and this is in comparison to many of my black friends, this is small. This is a small, uh, this is a small irrita- irritation to me compared to many of my black uh, friends whose last names aren't actually their original ancestors' last names, but are the names of their, uh, their ancestors' slaveholders. It's the um, and so that's a, an atrocity. That's a kind of a, they're wearing actually in their name, in their last names, the history of their enslavement. And so uh, names and places and statues and monuments tell a story. And our history tells a story of the United States of America, for instance, who we are as a country, what is our identity. The United States is increasingly becoming more and more diverse. And with that diversity, I think there's a lot of shifting and changing. And a lot of voices have been rising up and saying, hey, this is our story. Tell our story. The story of the U.S. isn't just the stream of white forefathers going down to white people, to white people, to white people. But it's all of these streams and channels coming in and shaping our country. And so I think when you see this tension and this conflict, when it comes to names, when it comes to history, uh, and when it comes to monuments, it's about history. And when a brother and a sister say, I'm hurting, this hurts me, right? Police brutality and the incarceration rates of black males, that hurts me. It's a part of our history. You, you need to acknowledge that it's a part of the injustices. It's a part of the story of our country to ignore that and say, no, that's fake news, or no, that doesn't exist, or no, what about black-on-black crime? That's not listening, and that's hurting a part of the family. Just as if you had a brother and sister and they were hurting, you wouldn't just go on your merry way. You would make sure uh, to care for them, to give them help, to listen to them. Also, in the same way, as people are pulling down uh, monuments to like Confederate soldiers, like Robert E. Lee, for instance, uh, soldiers who were fighting for slavery. When our black brothers and sisters say, that's unacceptable to put those in the plazas, to put those in government buildings, to put those in places of prominence in the city, uh, you're flaunting this history, this injustice, this oppression in front of us. You're saying, oh, we don't want to acknowledge evil. We don't want to acknowledge sin in our past, in our history. Our history is perfect because we are perfect. We came from this ideal idea of freedom and democracy for all. And yet, here are all these people where freedom, that freedom didn't exist for them. Or listen to that. To let go of control and allow, allow people 
uh, allow our nation to be shaped by the many voices and not, and not just hold on to one voice and say, that's the righteous right voice. Amen. And so the reason why I bring this up is to ask the question, monuments, histories, and names, do these things bring life to people? Right? When you wear, when we, when someone waves a Confederate flag and takes it to a NASCAR race, which is now banned in NASCAR, for them it might be, this is me, this is who I am, this is my culture. For other, it's a death sentence. It's, it's a symbol of racism. It's a symbol of the KKK. It's a symbol of lynching, right, and hangings. Those, that same flag was waved in the name of the Confederacy, in the name of this culture, this history. So the question is, do monuments, do names, do symbols, do flags, does our, the way that we tell our history, the story, the narrative, does that bring life to people? We should acknowledge that the Father is the Father of all. And as we've been studying in Acts, in Acts, the Spirit is poured out for all people. Right? Young and old. Men and women. Boys and girls. The Spirit will be poured out for all. And this is what we've been seeing in Acts, that God is the Father of all nations. And this is the beginning. The seeds are beginning to grow for the gospel to expand out beyond Jerusalem to the ends of the world. And we're just at the very beginning. We're starting to see the witness of the church grow and grow and grow. And we're seeing the wonders and deeds and the words of the apostles starting to gain traction and people paying attention and saying, what is happening? Something powerful is some happening. Something new is happening. A renewal is happening. We've been going to the temple. We've been coming to Jerusalem. But nothing like this has ever happened. Not since that guy, Jesus Christ, was walking around teaching and healing. And these apostles are doing similar things and they're doing it in his name. And there's power. And people are, are in awe and they're being added to the numbers of this new community. Growing and growing and growing. And we uh, previously, in Acts, uh, the beginning of chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, which we looked at last week, a lame man who was lame from birth is healed by Peter. And Peter, if you remember, says, the man has been taken to the temple gates every day, it says, for years and years and years. And anonymous people, we don't know who, would carry him each morning to the gate. And he would be there all day asking for money, asking for money. And Peter comes across this man along with John and says, Silver and gold, I have none. You're asking for alms? I don't have any of that. I don't have money. But what I do have, I will give it to you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What's in a name? What's in a name? Names are powerful. 
But there's one name that is more powerful than any other name spoken in this world, spoken by humanity. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. And this is what the theme that we're going to be seeing in chapter 3 that we are seeing is Jesus' name is powerful. And in the name of Jesus, miracles happen. And this layman jumps up and can walk again, right? And he was viewed as not pure, not able to enter into the temple for whatever reason. Being a social outcast, he's a social outcast. He's also poor. He's on the margins and literally on the outside of society on the, as he's sitting on the outside of the temple. But after he's healed, not only is he healed physically, he's feel, healed emotionally and socially and in his soul. And so he jumps up and he rushes into the temple. No longer is he on the outside, but he feels free to worship and celebrate. And he becomes a witness, evangelizing to all the people in his celebration, in his joy, as people recognize, hey, this is the man outside of the temple who's been lame since birth. What? He's jumping around and praising God. Let's go see what's happening. And so when we hit... When we hit our chapter, or our section, beginning in verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people, and this is an echo of Acts 2 and Pentecost, right? Once again, people are gathered together. They come running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade, right? At some point, they moved. Because they were at the beautiful gate. Now they're at Solomon's Colonnade, which historians say is on the eastern edge of the temple, east side of the temple in the outer courts, Solomon's Colonnade. And the people are in awe. They're astonished, just like the people at Pentecost gathered around the apostles because they were in awe and astonished at what was happening there. They are awe and astonished at the healing of this man. And that healing, that power, draws them like iron filings to a magnet, draws them in because they want to see what is happening. Because maybe going to temple every week has become boring. Maybe following the rules and the regulations and the, and the everydayness of the temple and following the religious leaders of the time who were heavy-handed and maybe the religiosity and the religion upon them. But they were hungry for power, right? For really witnessing power and healing and miracles. Just, just like when Jesus walked the earth, how they were drawn to him. And um, just like at Pentecost in chapter 2, Peter stands up among them when he sees the people. He sees an opportunity to speak and to give an explanation for what just happened, what, what this event me- meant, and to give context, theological context, and then to call a call to action, an altar call, essentially, um, to those gathered there. So he begins in chapter 12 when Peter 
saw the people, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk? Once again, Peter in his second speech here is connecting the dots uh, for the people who are standing around in amazement at the miracle they have just witnessed. And as at Pentecost, Peter wants to give theological context for the miracle. First, he wants to make clear um, that it isn't to his credit that this healing took place, but it was done due to Jesus Christ. This is why he's saying, why do you stare at us? So he wants to do three, he does three things in his speech or sermon or whatever you want to call it. And the first thing is, this isn't me doing this. Peter's saying, yes, this is powerful. Yes, a miracle happened here, but this wasn't me. Why do you stare at me? And again, this echoes the top of chapter three when Peter says, look at me to the layman, right? And the layman looks directly at him. In this case, Peter is saying to the, Peter was saying to the layman, look at me so you know who it is, right? Oh, making a relational connection. And the blind man it looks intently at Peter to receive something. He thought it was money, but it was something much, much more. But here Peter is turning that gaze, right? The people are looking at people are chasing Peter and John down, and they're staring at them in awe. But this stare is something different. It's not this relational connection, but it's the stare that you see of like teenagers who idolize K-pop stars or boy bands, right? When the, when, the, when the bands come by on the red carpet or they leave their limousine going into the concert hall and all the, all the fans are going, ah, whatever, Justin, Justin, Justin. And they stare at them and they, some of them faint and they want to like kiss them and hug them. This stare, this idolizing, right? We stare at people when we idolize them, when we want when we're all of them, when they are like gods to us. And our country, our culture, we tend to idolize people, right? We elevate them on a pedestal. We make heroes out of human beings, right? They can do no wrong. They're the best ever. They're perfect. I idolize them. They're so good looking or they're such great actresses. They're, they're beautiful or they're such powerful leaders. They're so rich. They're so glamorous, right? He is the uh, most powerful leader in the world. We stare at them because we idolize them. And to this, Peter is saying, this is the type of gaze that he's uncomfortable with. So he says, why are you looking at me? Why are you looking at me? Who you should be looking at is God. And and, and by connection, you should be looking at Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So this is the first point of Peter's speech is saying, stop looking at me. Let me point you to Jesus Christ because it's in the name of Jesus that this miracle was done. There's power in the name of Jesus. Don't stare at us. Look to Jesus. 
Secondly, like the speech at Pentecost, Peter puts culpability on the people for Jesus' murder. In verse 15, he says, you killed the author of life. Think about the irony of this, right? The people killed the inventor, inventor of life itself. You killed the author of life. God, the creator, made the world, then he made people. He actually invented life. He breathed life into people. And this is what Peter is saying. When you crucified Jesus, you actually brought death upon the one, the one who brought life to the world and to you. You murdered the life giver. Oh, man. That is like the worst thing that anyone can do. The creator, the one who ex nihilo inception, the very concept of the existence of life itself, the very breath in the people that took breath from him. Wow. That this was even allowed to happen, that God even allowed this to happen points to God, the great visionary, who, who used the prophets in the scripture to foretell this, that the Messiah would be killed, that the Messiah would be crucified. You killed the author of life itself. But that's not the end of the story. The full story is, and the author of life raised himself from the dead. Jesus Christ from the dead. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And because Jesus was raised and defeated death, he remains the Lord of life. The Lord of life. And Peter is making this connection here. There is a power in the name of Jesus. Right? That this healing that he did was in the name of Jesus Christ. So he's connecting this healing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what he means by the name of Jesus Christ. Because Christ had victory over death, he has power. He's the author of life, the life giver. He has power and sovereignty over everything. And so this miracle that we did wasn't us. was in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And third... The third kind of motion, the third movement, the third thing that he wants to point out in his speech to the people is that the lame man, in verse, in verse 16, he says, was healed by faith in the name of Jesus, right? And I'll just read 16 again. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and no was made strong. And then it's like a palindrome. He reverses it and repeats it in reverse. So by faith in the name of it is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that completely healed him, as you can see. It's faith and the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus and faith in that name that healed him. What we don't know, what isn't specified specifically is, was it faith of the man? Uh, in Jesus that heals him. I don't think the man even knew who Jesus was because Peter and John had to explain it to him. Or was it the faith of Peter and John in the name of Jesus? 
that heal them. I think it's the latter. It's the apostles having faith in Jesus' name, having faith in who Jesus is, by that same name, having the power to heal the man. And this is what it's happening. So Peter is connecting the dots, right? You saw something amazing. You're in awe. It's not me. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ whom you killed. And in fact, you murdered Jesus Christ um, even when Pilate said he's innocent. And even as Pilate was releasing a murderer, right? you chose Jesus who was innocent even more. Uh, that's huge. In the name of Jesus, there's power. And then finally, Peter says, repent. And this we saw in his first speech in uh, Acts chapter 2. Repent from your wicked ways. What is repentance? Think about that. Reflect on that. What is repentance? I could say repentance is ownership. It's owning my actions being aware of the things I've done wrong, the ways that I've sinned, the ways that I've broken the rules or broken, disobeyed, an acknowledgement of um, what I've done wrong, of how I've gone against authority, right? That's what it means to repent or to apologize, to say sorry, whatever. Um, repentance can mean turning around and moving away from the destructive path. We often see repentance, however, uh, or saying sorry, admitting that we're wrong as a sign of weakness. Right? We see this all the time in news stories and public scandals and conflicts. Uh, we rarely see good models of repentance or apologies in public, in the public scene among leaders or celebrities or other high-profile public people. It is so hard for us to submit, right? I'm putting myself in that. Because when I say sorry or when I repent, um, I feel a loss of identity, right? Our radical independence is threatened. My independence is threatened. Um, because... In our culture, we tend to overemphasize individuality rather than relationality. Does that make sense? When we repent, we feel like we're losing. We're losing the battle. We're losing the argument. We're giving up, right? We're not thinking about the relationship. We're just thinking about ourselves. If we think about repentance as restoring relationship, then it becomes a win-win. Right? But because of our radical individuality, especially in the West, especially in the United States, when we repent, we feel like we're losing our rights and our identity. But we need to see it rather as seeking to restore broken relationships. In repentance, we are turning away from our actions and our heart attitudes that are hurting God 
that are hurting our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters. We're turning away from that attitude. We're turning away from those actions that are breaking relationships, that are causing hostility with other people. Peter is calling the people into repentance to restore relationships with God. And we tend to feel like repentance is just such a doom and gloom thing, right? We, we do it in our private prayer times, and we're like, how can, I should get on my knees and wear sackcloth and be like, God, sorry, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, I didn't do it long enough, or I, I wasn't sorry enough. I wasn't suffering enough or crying enough when I repented. I need to do it harder. I'm sorry, God. And yes, there's a, that's a part of repentance is sincerity, right? It's a seri- serious thing to say, I'm a sinner and to submit, right? But look at what Peter says. Peter is calling for repentance in order to restore relationship with God. And in verse 19, he says, repent and turn to God, right? There's the relational thing, right? It's not just kind of win or lose. It's not just I was wrong. It's a turning towards God that sins will be washed away. Like you'll be made new. You'll be cleansed. And times of refreshing may come, right? The doom and gloom and the sadness of repentance is not the end of the story. We repent not to just be like, I hate myself, I'm a terrible person, and to stay in that. Wear black all day, right? No, you repent and turn to God so your sins will be washed away and times of refreshing will come. That's the good news. When we repent and turn, we're not just... Doing that, oh, God is so mean. He's so strict. He wants me to feel bad about myself all the time. And being a Christian is about feeling bad and feeling shame and, like, beating myself up and, like, like banging, whipping my back with a whip. Like, ah, I'm a terrible person. No, the good news is it's relational. It's not transactional. So what that means is when we let go of our wicked ways, when we let go of that heart attitude that's been breaking relationships on over here, it means we're turning and leaning into God and God is holding us and God is able to renew our lives, make us new and clean and fresh and times of refreshing will come. Joy, life. Because what was that phrase? The author of life. It it means we're turning back to life. (coughs) We're turning away from death into the arms of life, the author of life. And this is good news, amen? Turn away from your wicked ways into the arms of the author of life. That's what I read. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. Peter's intent is not to condemn people to hell right here. Peter's intent is to 
free people and point to, not to himself, because idolatry, once again, is the path of death, but to point to the name of Jesus, new life, the author of life himself, because Jesus was dead and was raised. And this is what Peter is saying. I wanted to come back and point out a couple of differences that I see in this speech as opposed to Peter's first speech in Pentecost and that he uses, um, in verse 12, he uses people, the word laos, Greek for people, um, in verse 12 twice. Uh, verse, verse 11 and verse 12, the first part of verse 12 twice. Then when Peter saw this, he said to them, verse 12, fellow Israelites, this word people, laos, isn't the word for like just crowd or multitude. Uh, it's people as in the people of God, not just an anonymous crowd and multitude. And because Peter is at the temple for the regular daily prayer, I'm thinking the people that were around were people in the temple were residents of Jerusalem, were people of God, where the Israelites were Jewish people in Jerusalem. And so he's speaking directly, specifically to, quote-unquote, God's people. That's why he continues on and says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. So he's bringing up, right, their forefathers. He's bringing up their history and he's connecting them back to their history. Our forefathers. Right? In verse 24, indeed, later on in the passage, indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you, verse 25, are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant of God made with your fathers. As Peter is speaking to the Israelites in the temple, I think there's a contrast here with the Pentecost where Peter is addressing people from many nations and out, from outside of Jerusalem. Here the emphasis is on the Jewish people in the temple. And he's reminding them of their history. He's reminding them of where they came from. He's saying, you... Israelites, you do have a special calling. You are heirs of the prophets and the covenant of God made with your fathers. Just as he said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. And this is the key here. I think Peter is connecting the Israelites and the people in the temple to their forefathers. Not to be like, you are elite and chosen. You should, be, you should be the model of religious people. Right? You are God's chosen people. He's not saying that. He's saying the purpose of your call and your covenant as God's people, he's speaking to the Israelites in the temple. Your purpose and your call, your identity is not in 
being this way or this way or following this regulation or you have these heroes or these statues or these flags. The purpose of your call is the same as the call was to Abraham. Right? What was the call to Abraham? Through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. All peoples on the earth will be blessed. Just as God is the author of life, just as Jesus Christ is the author of life, defeated death and is offering life to you, God's people are to be a people that offer life, not death. And when you are your wicked ways, I think this is specifically meant to point out ways that you are hurting people, ways that you are oppressing people, ways that you don't listen to the marginalized, ways that you pass the sick and the lonely and the lame and the blind and the poor, you pass them by or you directly push them down. Because Jesus and Luke, we know, right, came to set the captives free in the Gospel of Luke. He healed the sick. He made the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He visited the prisoners and set them f- the captives free, right? At the banquet table later on in Luke, I think it was 17, who are the people that come to the banquet table? It's the highways and the byways, the poor people, the sick, the lame, not the rich, not the people who rejected, but it's the margins of society. And this was the ministry of Jesus. This is what he did when he was on earth. He hung out with sinners and the sick and the poor, the bottom of society. He hung out in the outer courts and the courts of the Gentiles at the temple regularly. He called Galileans to be his disciples closest to him, just fishermen, not like the educated, not priests, but humble people. That's what marked his ministry, and that's what it means when Peter says, we do this in the name of Jesus Not only is it in the power of Jesus, but also in the way of Jesus, right? And the apostles, uh, one of the questions uh, that was given to Jesus in the Gospel of Luke as he's healing people is, um, by what authority do you do this, right? And this is exactly the healing that Peter and the wonders and the The miracles that Peter and John, the apostles, are doing parallel that of Jesus. It looks a lot like how Jesus did things, the way that Jesus did things, who he loved and who he hung out with. Peter and John are doing similar things, right? And they're saying it's in the name of Jesus. It's not us. It's it's Jesus because that's what Jesus did. And by what authority, they're answering that question, the unspoken question of, by what authority do you do this? We do this authority by the name of Jesus Christ, who is the author of life and defeated death. And you are a witness to this. And it's important that you witness to this. That'll be, that is a theme in Acts. Witness to 
these miracles, witness to these acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the apostles, but it's not us. It's Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's by what authority we do these things. And through your offspring, all peoples on the earth will be blessed. It's great to say we are a blessed people. It's great to say we are a great nation. It's great to say we are a people of God. We're blessed by God because look at how we prosper. It's great to say all of those things. It's great to say our forefathers were great. Look at these monuments to these great people who did great things. The, the greatest democracy on earth, the greatest economy on earth, the greatest country on earth. Right? It's great to say all of these things. But if you are not giving life to people, if you are not blessing all people, all people, not just your people, all people, then you're not great. And I think this comes out in this passage. And this is what it means to be a spirit-infused multi-ethnic church. That we're not just about making ourselves great or our name great. We're New Church Linwood. We're great. We're going to be the hugest church in Linwood. We're going to have the greatest things, the greatest programs, right? We're going to have the best-looking pastors and the best worship and the best facility and the best children's ministry, right? We're going to rock all those other churches all around. We're going to rise above because we're blessed by God. We're so hashtag blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed. It's not about that. But it's about participating in the way of Christ, in the name of Christ. <laughs> and what Christ did was walk among the poor and bless all people that came to him. And so I want to leave us with Philippians, the Christ hymn, the passage in Philippians, which was also part of the prayer of surrender, but I want to read it again as a reminder to us. What does it mean to be great in the name of Jesus? What's in the name of Jesus? Right? Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5 through verse 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here's the kicker. Therefore, and this is what Peter is saying. This is a summary of our passage. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for the power that is in your name. 
that you yourself, because you love the world, humbled yourself, even though you were God, became us in order to save us, to heal us, in order to make a way for us to repent. The call to this passage is to repentance. And so, Lord, if there be any way that is wrong in us, any way that is hurtful to you and hurting our neighbors, the people around us, forgive us. And Lord, we lift up our country to you. That, what our, that our country, that you would make our nation great again, not because of uh, all the amazing things we can do or our wealth or our riches or our, our military might or even um, some ideal uh, lie or picture of a history, um, a perfect history, which it's not. But make us great because we are on our knees and turning back to you to give us, to show us the way out of this. Give us new life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.